0: Uh, well, today we're going to be in James chapter 4, uh, but before we do that, I want to read again for you uh, the what we sang about and what our kids so wonderfully led us in uh, here on Palm Sunday as we think about uh, the final week of Jesus's ministry here on earth uh, before his crucifixion. Uh, but in John chapter 12, it won't be on the screen, I just want you to listen. You may not know that uh, not only was there a plot to kill Jesus, there was also a plot to kill Lazarus. There's a little bit of passage in there right before Jesus's triumphal entry that talks about how the Pharisees wanted to kill Lazarus, uh, the one who Jesus had raised from the dead. But, but right after that, it speaks about this whole idea of shout Hosanna and the palm branches. If you're new to church, uh, here's where that comes from. The next day. The large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Even the King of Israel. Uh, this week, uh, we will celebrate uh, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ because He is the one uh, who gives us new life. Uh, he is the one who paid the penalty of our sin. And because of His resurrection, uh, we get to have a life eternal, abundant, forever, uh, free from sin by placing our faith in Him. And, and today, this Palm Sunday, uh, we celebrate that He is the King the King of kings, the Lord of lords. Uh, And I want to talk a little bit about uh, that idea of Lazarus uh, here in a moment. Uh, We're going to have our our very own story of that this morning. Uh, But in the book of James, uh, we've been looking at kind of practical living. What does it mean to to have practical living as a person who follows Jesus Christ? And last week, uh, we talked about how sometimes it's very easy for us to play God for other people. It's easy for me to tell you what to do, and and that's true for you, to to tell others what to do. We we like to to judge others, to to act like we're above the law, above the law of God, which is to love him and to love others. Today, we're going to take a little more introspective look, that instead of judging others or acting like God with other people, uh, sometimes we do that with with our own lives, that we act as if we're as smart uh, as God. And so look at James 4, verse 13. It says, come now. Now that's, that's James's way of saying, uh, you might have a phrase similar, uh, listen up, pay attention, look at me, put the phone down. Whatever it is, that's this phrase right here. Come now. Like uh, all eyes on me, undivided attention. So let's practice that. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that as it is you boast in your arrogance all such boasting is evil so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him it is sin this passage turns the attention of James's listeners and readers from judging others to judging themselves uh, because oftentimes, as I just said, we're guilty of playing God for others and playing God with our own lives. We, we, we play God. We act as if we are in charge. We play God for others and we act as if we are God in our own lives. And James here, as he's writing, he's trying to give his listeners a perspective It's the the person, even though they claim the name of Christ, even though this is a Christian audience, it's the person who is giving no thought to God in their daily life. It's like God is for Sunday and I'm for the rest of the week. That's what he's getting at here. Because I'll go to this town, I'll go to that town, I'll go and do business here, I'll go and meet these people. Perhaps he's speaking to kind of an upper middle class uh, merchant group because in that era you had to have a little bit of money to travel abroad uh, same is true today right you got to have a little money uh, to travel abroad uh, you, you're not you're, you're not traveling far without money and they want to make profit on their business they're going to make plans just like we make plans we're going to make plans we're going to go to school we're going to go to work We're going to get married. We're going to have a great life of work. Our kids are going to grow up and be perfect because we live in southeast Houston because all kids are perfect in this region. You guys, that was your moment. And you you missed. No, only one of you got it. The rest of you are like, oh, well. (laughs) Yes, we're perfect. Mom and dad, if you just listen. I try to help you as often as I can. <laughs> but, but this passage is, is not about sort of putting down people who are in business. This is not about making money or not making money. That's not the point. The point is James is not trying to discourage business owners. He's not trying to discourage people from, from making a profit. What, what he's talking about is ignoring the authority of God in your life. It's about boasting in yourself. And, and this crazy phrase in verse 16, you boast in your arrogance. Just think about that phrase for a second. You boast in your arrogance. You, you already think too highly of yourself. That's arrogance. And then you tell everybody about how you think too highly of yourself. That's what that phrase is saying. I'm telling all of you how awesome I am. I know some of you have been watching uh, college basketball over the last month with March Madness. Uh, We're in April now. That's how madness works. It extends beyond what we usually want it to into April. And and you'll notice if, if most players, even the coaches who get interviewed after a victory, They've been trained. They've been trained well. That, that when they get asked about their performance or a clutch play, uh, like the guy from San Diego State made uh, last night where, to win the game. Yeah, a yeah, lot, lot of San Diego State fans here. Yeah, I'm like, come on, bandwagon. Uh, so, like, that's just the truth, right? But the guy was so humble and gracious, talked about working hard, talked about his teammates, coach comes in, same thing. They've been trained well. You you maintain a sense of humility when you're in front of the camera. And that works most of the time until a player retires. And then once a player retires, like all of us, we always... Say how good we were, how great we were, how awesome. We all have a story of victory. We all have that story. And we ride that story forever. And we lose all sense of humility. The older I get, the better I was. That's boasting in your arrogance. It's true. You're laughing because it's true in your life. <laughs> the older we get, the better we were. And James is speaking to that very thing that we we say all these things about who we are and what we're doing and where we're going, where we're going with no thought of God. That I am in control of all things. Or worse, I want to be in control of all things. And the struggle is you and I cannot control the next moment. We can't control the next moment. Because life is uncertain at best. At, at, at its very best, it's uncertain. And James is urging Christians to understand how fragile our lives are, how, how momentary our plans are in the course of, of eternity, uh, like a, a mist, a vapor, like when you squeeze that windex bottle and and it's gone. That's our lives. That you and I really don't have any idea what tomorrow holds, much less the next 30 minutes. And so I want to invite one of our church members, uh, a deacon, uh, to come up and share his story of what it was like to experience this momentary vapor of a life. That in an instant, all the plans he had made he thought, were over and gone, except by the grace of God. So would you welcome John Gilmore, a deacon in our church. <laughs> His wife, Karen, is with him. Some of, he has four boys. They're all grown. Uh, a couple of them were here earlier. And so, John, tell us uh, about uh, your momentary fleeting passage with life.
1: Thank you, Pastor David. Um... It's by God's grace that I'm here. Um, before Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, he, he didn't call it death. He said, this illness will not result in death so that to glorify God and that the Son of God could be glorified. And so I give him all glory. Um, God has saved me twice, or Jesus has saved me twice Once in 1974 from a spiritual death, and in August of this past year from a physical death. And uh, because of all of your prayers, um, you had an active part in my story. My story started um, almost a year ago. We used some family inheritance to buy a house. Um, Our intent was to downsize. We ended up just resizing, (laughs) that's part of the story. Um, And our plan was, to. the house we bought needed lots of work. Uh, The house we were in was built in 04 and so it needed some work as well. And so our plan was to have two double house payments um, and then get the house on the market by mid-July. And uh, the interest rates I think had risen once since we started this. And so I've been working and working and getting all these things ready, it, it, some things at both houses. And the end of July is approaching and we're still not ready to sell our house. And I'm, so the pressure's on and um, I'm starting to panic because the interest rates continue to rise and I'm thinking we have really messed up here. Because you know, what if you know? At the time when we first started this process, houses were selling two or three days. You know, and now it's like, ooh, pump the brakes. And um, so I said, we got to get this done. We got to get this done. And so uh, comes August, we make our third double house payment. And uh, and we're the the house is going on the going on the market August fifth, Friday, August fifth. And so. Thursday comes, August the 4th, and they're doing photography for the real estate listing that afternoon, and my yard still is not ready, and so I I show up at 9 o'clock that morning, and um, I'm, you know, early August, temperatures are in the mid to high 90s, occasional 100s, and I'm listening to the news, you know, drink, uh, heat stroke, heat exhaustion, drink plenty of water and all this kind of thing. So I head to the house with my gallon jug of water, and so I'm, I get to work. I get to work, and by 2 o'clock I'm finished, you know, got, got the, met my deadline. They can do the photography, but I've, there's not a dry thread on me, and I've already drained that gallon jug of water once, and I'm already working on my second jug. So by the time I left the house... I had already drunk five quarts of water, but I'm still sweating and you know, our boys are in scouts and I, and I know about first aid and dehydration and all that. And so I'm thinking, you know, I'm, everything's okay. So because of my, I'm soaking wet, I, it's time for lunch. So I go to Whataburger to do the curbside because I'm not gonna let anybody see me, right? Um, pull into the spot, they bring my order out and they roll down the window, hands me my order. I reach for my cup and my hand cramps up and I drop I, I drop my drink and it spills all over my lap in the truck. I mean, one of those big star, I mean, it was, and I'm thinking, oh, I'm, I'm in trouble. So um, I head to the house, soaking wet, more wet <laughs> already was. And uh, I, uh, more cramping, my chest starts cramping, my legs start cramping. And I'm, boy, I'm in, I'm in bad shape. Karen gets home from from school, um, and about six thirty, um, she says, "Do I need to take you to urgent care?" And I said something I've never said in my life. I think so. <laughs> and so uh, we get there, and I, by this time I'm just real. I mean, I'm, I'm moaning. I'm, in the, I'm really feeling bad. And um, they hand me the paperwork to check in. And I, I just, I look at it, and I turn to Karen, and I said, w- will you fill this out for me? I didn't even feel like filling out the paperwork, I'm just, you know. And then they call my name to go into the back, and Karen says, do I need to go with you? And I said, I think so. And um, everything after that is kind of a blur. Okay, so they check me out, they, they um, my vitals are good, everything seems fine, uh, they, uh, we, um we head out. I'm talking coherently. I mean, I'm carrying on the conversations and such. And so we go about our way. And then, um, like I say, the rest is, uh, is blurry. So I'm, from this point is things that I've been told. Um, about 11.30, 11.45, we're in bed. I'm restless. I'm thrashing. And um, all of a sudden, I seize up and I'm, I'm, you know, I, I, I pass out. So, uh, our son Grant lives at the other end of the neighborhood, um, and so Karen calls Grant, says, come check on your dad, I, you know, I, I need you now, come check on, my da- on your dad and hang up. Um, and then Blake comes over, and Morgan, my, my sister-in-law comes over, and I didn't, I heard this part after in, the, in the aftermath, my son Grant told me, he said, Dad, I get to the house, and I say, what's up or what's wrong? And he said, go check on your dad. Karen's out front waiting for the ambulance. She's already called 911. He goes into my bedroom. I'm laying there on the bed lifeless with blood coming out of my nose. And uh, so they get me loaded up. I, uh, I head to, we head to the hospital. Karen follows, follows along, gets there. And um, I'm I'm so restless. that I mean, I'm, they don't know what's going on. Um, they tr- they need to do a cat scan, but they can't. They can't. I'm, I'm thrashing. They had to restrain me to the bed. Um, and so they go to the Karen and say, "We need to do this stuff, but he's too restless. We need to intubate him, you know, so we can do this this cat scan and the subsequent MRI." And she says, "Okay." Not realizing until later that oh that's like a ventilator in a medically induced coma and um she's thinking you know i i'm one of these type i i've, I've told everybody all along i don't want to be hooked up to any machine or life support or anything like that that's just you know and so karen's thinking oh he's going to be so mad at me <laughs> And. Uh, Amy Gates told her later, she says, no, he's not going to be mad at you. He's going to thank you. And so um, <clears throat> they do the tests. They finally figure out. It took them a while. And this is another thing. The waiting for the family was, was really tough. They, um, they finally figured out. I, th- I In the aftermath, I thought it was a heat stroke. They didn't call it a heat stroke. It was actually, I had several scattered strokes in my brain. It, what they call the watershed sections of the brain where the different sections of the brain meter are called the watershed. So that's several watershed strokes about the size of lentils. And um, they don't know what the future holds. And um, so I was in this coma. And... Uh, Several days go by, and then the side problems were aspirational pneumonia started setting in. I was having trouble with my lungs. My kidneys were starting to fail. They were kind of, you know, they didn't know what was happening there. But um, what caused this all, I learned later, was that um, I'd been drinking this water, but I, because I'd been drinking so much, I flushed my system of all its electrolytes and sodium to life-threatening levels, and uh, I mean, I, barring a heart condition, I didn't know you could die from yard work. <laughs> now, that's not the message is not avoid yard work. Okay, so just to let you, you can't use that on your wife. I mean, it could kill me. No, um, but. Um, Anyway, so they've got things figured out and they're, but they don't know what the future holds. And um, so this is Thursday night, Friday, our house is supposed to go on the market. And so Karen calls our realtor and explains what happened. And and Teresa says, what do you want to do? And you know, we've got this, we've had this plan all along, you know, and time's a wasting. So she makes the decision to go ahead and proceed with the sale of the house. And uh, praise God, we got a contract three days later. I didn't know it at the time, but um, anyway, so the, uh, uh, we got to the point where after so many days, you know, we we got to, the doctors are saying, we we don't like keeping people on this more than, eight days. And I, th- I think I was on f- fentanyl and propofol or something. It was they, they, it was heavy stuff to keep me down. And so they, they br- tried to bring me out of it. And um, my heart rate and my blood pressure just went crazy, like over 200. I mean, you know, so they bring it back down. So av- they said, we don't like to keep them on, on this for more than eight days. So the ninth day, which was Saturday the 13th, um, We're going to try again that evening. And they tried to bring me out of it, and Karen said it lasted about 10 minutes. And heart and blood pressure spike again. They put me back down. And uh, Jessica Peck told me later, one of our cousins, um, she texted her sister and said, unless I'm missing something, this does not look good. And Amber replied back, barring a miracle, it doesn't. So, Sunday morning, the 14th, um, the doctor comes in and pulls up a chair and Karen's thinking, oh, I know what's coming. We need to have a talk. And um, they start talking about quality of life. Um, They start talking about, um, you know, uh, life options and organ donation Karen looks out the window and sees a rainbow, and she's, she, in her heart, she's just not feeling it. And uh, word gets out for, the you know, we've got a diffi- some difficult decisions to make. Uh, and I learned later from a friend of mine in Charlotte, Mark told me later that um, he was contacted, we're having a family meeting this afternoon, and we'd like for you to be a part of it. He said, I would be honored to. So the, the talk that morning, a little bit later that morning, the doctor comes out to the waiting room and says, he's having meaningful eye contact. And so she, you know she, the, the joy kind of, her heart kind of leaps in, but, but just before she gets too excited, she texts Tammy, Tammy Rowlands, her cousin, other cousin, who is a retired nurse, and texts her and said, and she'd been texting several family members throughout the time, you know, anytime she didn't understand something, she would check with them, what does this mean? So she texts Tammy and said, he's having meaningful eye contact. What does that mean? And she replies back, this is the miracle you've been praying for. So at 12.03 p.m., Haley, my daughter-in-law, captured it on camera in the date stamp. It'll, it will I'll remember it forever. I'm responding to Karen's voice, looking at her and reaching for her hand. Less than... 3 hours after that talk. And um, you know I had I had hoped in that moment that it, I would never lose the impact of that I mean, it's, it's it's part of my DNA now every time I talk about it it's just very very special. But uh, anyway, that that 10 days um in ICU and then another 10 days of uh, inpatient recovery, and so the the thing that uh, that you do a lot of reflecting in the aftermath, and one of the first things I thought was, "Oh, so before I get there, Karen starts talking to me about, you know, okay, you're in the hospital, you've been down for 10 days, blew my mind, and uh In the aftermath, I'm thinking, you know, life really is just a vapor, you know. I I mean, I was moments away from spending eternity with Jesus and my parents and every other loved one when Jesus said, no, I'm I'm not quite done with you yet and, and brought me back. So that was one thing that, that occurred to me was life is just a vapor. The second thing, you know, we have make all these plans. We had this plan about the house, you know, and, and and that was starting to veer off track. And then Karen's faced with what do we do now? She doesn't know what kind of state I'm going to be in long term. Even though I was awake, we didn't know what the, the future, and the doctors were very careful not to promise anything. So the, the plans just, you know, can change quickly, can change quickly. And ultimately, it's not what we decide. It's it's ultimately God's will. What is God's will? And for me, I mean, I know it doesn't always turn out that way. You know, Peter preaches a sermon and 3,000 people are saved, and Stephen preaches the same sermon, same sermon out loud and everything, and he gets stoned to death. Well, why? So that a guy named Saul could watch that and have an impact so it's ultimately god's will on what turns out but he heard the prayers of his people and uh, it's because of him because of your prayers and because he just said i'm not done with you yet so i appreciate the opportunity maybe the next time you read this passage it'll have a a new meaning but i i I thank god for for your prayers and the way that it turned out. thank you
0: I mean, we were, um, John had sent me a photo of him in the hospital, and we refrained from showing it because it, it didn't show his best features. Uh, it, it had tubes and things all over his family. Like, that's not the John Gilmore we know. So we decided to wait on that. But God did a great miracle in his life. And, and it was a reminder. He, he told me over and over again, when I came out, I, I just remember that James passage, uh, that, that life um, appears and can vanish uh, like that in the scope of eternity. And I'm grateful to God that uh, he uh, left you with us for a little while longer. And uh, you can praise him uh, in so many ways. And I, I want to wrap up today uh, with just one uh, quick thing for us uh, as John uh, shared it in his uh, story. But but it's it's a little bit of a, a Latin lesson today. We all need some Latin every now and then. But But it's this passage that James says, if the Lord's will, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. If the Lord wills. Uh, Life really is about Deo Valente. And that Deo Valente means as God wills, God willing. Perhaps John's testimony today to you is that uh, God is in control and we're not. God is in control of all things. And his will is more important than our will. And so I want to walk uh, through every day of my life surrendered to his will. Uh, paying attention to the things that he desires. And, and in those cases where I, I uh, and, and I'm good at this, where I want my will to be done. Uh, I, I live that way a lot like probably all of you do. Uh, that, that I want it my way, in my time, how I believe it should go, then in those moments I, I would surrender to the will of the Father, knowing that, that my life is a mist. But, but in that brief time that I have here on this earth, in, in the scope of eternity, I want to accomplish God's will. I want to do the thing that God calls us to, because that's how James ends the passage. Whoever knows the right thing to do needs to do it. The, the right thing to do is to, to love our Heavenly Father with all of who we are and to love our neighbors as, our, as ourselves, to put others before ourselves, to not boast in our own arrogance and accomplishment, but to do what is right, to live a life that reflects that I believe the authority God has in my own life and the authority that it has in your life. And so as we look this week and we ponder this week the, the final days of Jesus Christ on this earth, the one who lived a life selflessly for our sake, for your sake and for my sake, that we would walk in that same attitude, that same behavior, that we would know what is right and we would do it. Will you pray with me?